Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Clubhouse Talk. We have back on Joe after a long Christmas slash New Year's slash beginning of the year break. Uh, it's, he's been he's been busy. We're bouncing around. We're getting you guys the best guests that we can week in and week out. And this week we bring back our dynamic duo of Kylie and Joe back at you. So go ahead and start off with Joe. How are you doing today? We are uh, we're doing good. We're recovering, licking our wounds a little bit from the Packers loss. Um, but life goes on. It was um, not a great football season for my teams. So eyes forward. A lot of lot of uh, sad defeats at the end of the year uh, for your for your teams this year. Um, yes, you know we we haven't had John for the playoffs yet, so it'll be a good time to bring you back on to talk about um, that Packers loss and kind of break it down. And we'll kind of go with the same format we did the last couple of weeks. Is let's break down the uh, the four games that happened last weekend in. I would say what is maybe the greatest NFL weekend we've ever had for um, four games. The fact that what happened in all four games, every single one of them came down uh, to the very end, literally ending on the last play. And then we'll uh, break down the conference championship games. So let's uh, let's let's jump right on in. We'll start and we'll just go chronological order here. Uh, and the very first game was the uh, the Titans and the Bengals game. So uh, I personally did not get to watch this game much live. I was actually at the uh, Tennessee LSU basketball game as it was going on, but I did go back and watch the, watch some highlights of the game. I've caught a lot of the notes being here in Nashville, reading a lot of uh, the reporters and uh, the beat writers, everything else, but clearly Ryan Tannehill did not have uh, his best game. It was kind of a, a fist fight not a lot of offense. And then it really was, it came down to which quarterback made the mistake at the wrong time. And that was Tannehill on that last drive with uh, minutes ago through as a pick and it sets up the game winning field goal for Cincy. Yeah. And that was really the story of it. Um, I was skeptical going into the playoffs of Tannehill. Really. I, I think he's a good quarterback, but I think what you're, when you're stacked up against the other playoff quarterbacks, Certainly the ones that we saw play last week, I, I felt like he was a little um, less significant to his team's offense. and uh, Underclassed, I, you might say. Yeah, underclassed, I would say is probably a better word. And, and he just didn't play well. I mean, that wasn't even – even if he played average football, they'd probably win that game for him. Uh, so, you know, disappointing because you don't want to see – one guy take the majority of the blame the way he has and the way he will throwing in inter- three interceptions and especially the one at the end um, that was the pass breakup. But, um, you know, even more so to me was the Bengals offensive line is terrible and they still found a way to win. I mean, to give up nine sacks and to win a football game is just baffling. I couldn't believe that when I saw the box score afterwards. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, seriously, I, I, I didn't see any of it, so I just pulled it up on my phone as I get out of the, the basketball game. I look at the box score, and, it, and you're, you look at it, and you see nine sacks, and then you don't win a game. It's unbelievable that they even – you think about how many drives you have in a game and how many times the sacks that you back against the chains and how many first downs and, and leads to typically a drive killer. And it's just it, – it's almost impossible to think about them getting – any points when you give up nine sacks, let alone scoring 19 points and enough to win a game. But when the other team turns it over three times, that obviously it sets you up. Um, and that, mm-hmm. that last interception was really bad. If you go back and you look at the full cam, the full view of that, you, you look and you see that they had a uh, running right over the middle of the field. Uh, it would have been an easy first down. It would have continued to keep the drive going and the Titans may have had a chance to set their own game winning field goal there, but uh, and instead, Tannehill forces the ball in there. It gets tipped up and turns into an interception. Goes the other way. Um, were you surprised to see how much Derrick Henry was? I, I almost want to say forced into the action in the game because he comes back after not being in, you know, playing for three months, and he gets. I think it was twenty carries. I couldn't believe the amount of work that they tried to give him in that game. I think it's just. When you get to the playoffs, in, in my opinion, and I, you know, I could be proven wrong, but these teams that have very one-dimensional offenses tend to struggle more because I think the preparation 
that teams are willing to put into just one specific team in playoffs is much more than in the regular season. Um, I, and I'm going to get to it when we talk about Green Bay, but I think Tennessee really fits that mold of if they can't run the ball, they can't be an effective team. And so I think knowing that they just tried to force it and force it and force it with Derrick Henry. I, I thought honestly going into the game that he was going to be more of a decoy than anything and that they'd like put him out there and he'd maybe have, you know, 10 carries, 15 total touches. Um, but that was not the case. I mean, 20 carries is a pretty healthy number. Um, especially right off a foot play or a big foot injury like that with your franchise player. I, I mean, even if they win that game, he wouldn't have been able to sustain that workload throughout the playoffs, in my opinion. So, yeah, that was a little surprising. I mean, it wasn't like you just held him out for two months and then you just let him be fully rested. I mean, you're right. He was coming off an injury. I thought he was going to be a decoy, too. I thought this is going to be a really great spot for a lot of um, play action pass with Tannehill with Henry in there. You could set him up as that decoy or even letting Tannehill kind of keep it and use some of his legs. He's proven to be a, a serviceable athlete. Uh, carrying the ball himself on some scrambles and in, in other times. And I thought that the, the, uh, that game would have been a great time to use it because you're bringing him back. You don't know how much they want to use them and, and keep them out there as a decoy because they everyone's focus goes to him because they know how good of a player he is. So I think a lot of this, this offseason we spent questioning um, the offensive coordinator there for the Titans. There were some pretty – it was some pretty poor play calling the entire season and it carried into that game to no surprise. And then – you know, there's you really don't have a discussion when it comes to Tannehill for the Titans because I think if I have the numbers correct, it's like a thirty million dollar cap hit if they were to try and get rid of him this year. They clearly can't do that. Um, so and to be fair, he had a pretty good season. Year. He had a pretty good season, really. I mean, he. The problem with guys, not really a problem, but the the difficulty I would say with guys like Tannehill is they're good enough to keep their job, but they're not bad enough to be replaced. And so if you go out there in free agency, you know, unless you're going to roll the dice and, and make a trade for Deshaun Watson, or maybe try to get the big deal signed with Russell Wilson, or, you know, we'll see what happens with the Aaron Rodgers fiasco. Um, but there's just not going to be a whole, you're not going to pick up, a Marcus, you're not going to bring Marcus Mariota back to Tennessee and have him replace Ryan Tannehill. And, you know, that's – or bring in Jameis Winston to replace Tannehill. It's just not big enough of an upgrade. So your solution is to try to draft somebody and sit him behind Tannehill for a couple of years until they mature and then look at – I think that would probably be the best overall outcome for all parties involved. But I don't know if top, Tennessee's at that point yet. I think maybe they draft somebody in the later rounds, but – I don't think they're going to get any like a Kenny Pickett or a Matt Corral. Yeah, I think that they absolutely need to start looking at the future and trying to get somebody young in there. But I look at Ryan Tannehill as a I've gone through this list a few times with friends in the last couple of months. And, and I think that he really falls into the range somewhere between 11 and 13, 11 and four, top 11, top 14 quarterbacks, somewhere in that range, I, I think, depending upon. Once you start looking at a couple of quarterbacks, it really gets fuzzy there. Um, and so it's clearly not the worst quarterback in the world, but he's not your, he's not your top level guy. That's just going to go out and win the game. And that you don't, that's okay. Not everyone has their franchise players or quarterbacks, a lot of franchises, but the Titans have Derrick Henry, which is totally fine. They just need to find some better play calling to where everything is not just solely if Derrick Henry can't run the ball, we have no offense that night. And so I, I think that's where the Titans got to look this this offseason, either one, get a new OC, or two, their OC needs to seriously revamp his entire system and, and figure out something where they can play more off of uh, schemes that go so heavy against Derrick Henry. There are some teams that will be bad against the run. It will be great for that, but sometimes you're going to have to be able to adjust on the fly. So. Um, I mean, that's kind of where we were settled on that. And so they were, they were the first number one seed to go down. Uh, immediately changed everything up in the AFC. And then you look over to the, and I do want to say one more thing before that. A lot of teams, a lot of people said that the Titans were not a deserving number one seed. They're the first team ever to win eight games in one season against teams with winning records. They were a very capable team this year. They just didn't perform in the playoffs. It wouldn't matter. And it was interesting to see 
you have the, the first team get a buy. Um, only the number one team gets a buy. And then you turn around and that night you have the Packers hosting the 49ers in an extremely frigid game at Lambeau field. Um, the Packers go right down the field on the very first drive of the game. And then after that, it was a completely inept offense from both sides the entire night. Uh, you have a huge special team play at the, uh, in the middle of the fourth quarter to tie the game up, I believe is 10 to three. You have blocked fun for a touchdown, 10, 10 with like four minutes to go. Green Bay goes three and out, kicks it back to San Fran. They go down and they uh, kick a field goal to win the game. And boom, just like that, you have both number one seats gone. The quarterbacks of the number one seats combined for zero touchdowns in those two games. It was pretty incredible to see not just the road teams win, not just the number one teams lose, but just how bad those teams looked in considering they were the only ones with the bye. Yeah. The, uh, <laughs> the first eight minutes of the game, the Packers looked like they were going to win the game by 30. And then the Mercedes Lewis fumble happens and the whole game changed. Um, it was three and outs. No, I mean, really no drives at all. Um, a field goal gets blocked. And then the second half was just, frankly, a waste of everybody's time. And the, <laughs> It was some pretty poor weather, I will say. Yeah. I, there, there wasn't a lot those offices could do in, in, in some pretty icy, snowy conditions that the field got pretty, pretty tough for those skill players to be making cuts out there. But nonetheless, it was, it was ugly. It was terrible. And then the block punt touchdown happens, and then the Packers defense that had played phenomenal all game you know, ended up letting up a field goal at the end. But I couldn't believe that that's the way the game was lost. Like how the, the special teams, I could believe I take that back, but the 10, 10 score, I would have never thought in a hundred years that at home, Aaron Rodgers this season was only going to score 10 points in that game. And, and, And it just shocked me that, how stale the offense was the whole game. And that's when I started to have this thought of like the one dimensionality of the Green Bay offense. Cause it's Aaron Rodgers to Devontae Adams and he sprinkled in a little bit of a run game. And outside of that, there was nothing. I mean, the Alan Lazard, who's the number two receiver, I don't think he had over 20 yards. Um, I don't know if any other receivers touched the ball. He kicked it down to, Cobb Aaron Jones a couple times was ineffective. I don't even know. I was scaling. I don't even know if he's out there on the field. He didn't play, um, but it was just useless. I mean, it, it was the most anemic Packers offense that I have seen this season, other than when they got obliterated by the Saints in week one. It was just they. It was like they didn't want to be there. They weren't prepared for the game, but it was just terrible. And then furthermore, the special teams play had been a joke all season. Um, they were last in special teams by a pretty significant margin. And for them to lose the game on a field goal when they had 10 players out on the field was just the icing on the cake. And uh, that, that I've never seen anything like that. And, and I've, I mean, Aaron Rodgers should win that game. And the realization that I've had, and I've mentioned this to a few people, you know, the Aaron Brady comparison of the two best players of like this generation, um, Brady finds a way to win that game. I, I do not care what I, I, I think he finds a way to win that game. And the fact that Aaron couldn't dig deep for one more drive, he missed Lazard wide open on the last play when he just heaved it up to Devonte and like triple coverage, like an idiot. Um, it was just, I don't know. It was just bad. It was pretty crushing. Not as crushing as when they lost to Seattle on the NFC championship in 2015, but um, above the Tampa Bay loss last year, for sure. I mean, you have, I don't know how many years this is in a row now that the Packers have had a fantastic regular season. It's at least two years in a row that they've had home field advantage. It might be more. I can't remember. Um, it just seems like this is kind of Rodgers' MO, and it has been. I, I mean, I know he has the one Super Bowl, but for the large majority of his career, he's been a fantastic regular season quarterback. And then the Packers just absolutely go into neutral when they get into the playoffs. And whether it's another team getting hot at the right time, whether it's bad play calling, whether it's poor, in, whether it's injuries at the wrong time, whatever it may be, 
they come up short and eventually you have to start looking at the people who, who has been there through this entire run. And Rogers is one of them. He is a extremely talented player. And for the large majority of his career, he has not performed when the lights have shined brightest and he has not been able to get the job done. Uh, I mean, to think that he, the amount of talent and as good as the teams have been, the Packers were the best team in the NFL the entire regular season. And there is no one that is going to deny that. And to think that that team doesn't even get a chance to go into the Super Bowl, you have to start questioning some ability of, of players out there to play on the biggest stage and when the, you know, when the lights are brightest in the playoffs. I, I completely agree. And, and for the large part of his career, his defense has been what has axed him in the playoffs. It hasn't really been his play, but this game, that was as good of a defensive performance as you're going to get in the NFL. And, you know, the defense didn't let up any points. Special teams let up you know, 10 of it, really. And then th- I guess defense gave up three, but like Aaron didn't give him a break all game. You know, he was on the, it was either three or six plays on offense pretty much the whole second half. And he, he should have found a way to at least get a, two touchdowns up there. And he didn't. And I think you're exactly right. Eventually you run out of the checklist of excuses. You know, it was Mike McCarthy was holding him back. It was the defense was holding him back. It was not having the weapons was holding him back. He's got the best receiver in football. He's got a top five running back. You know, he's got, he had a pretty solid offensive line. I think one of the key things that hurt them that um, game was Bakhtiari sitting out after being back at the end of the regular season. That didn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, so questioning the strength and conditioning coach a little bit on that, but yeah, he's out of excuses. You got to win. You got to win. He's too talented to have one Super Bowl. And I don't know if it's too much pressure or, or what the deal is, but he's got to find a way to rise to the occasion better than that because he, he to me looked like any other NFL quarterback in that game. Yeah. I can think of 15 guys who could have put on a similar performance in that. A lot of it. There are a lot of rookies and a lot of poor quarterbacks who could have got out there and done just as good as he did. Um, and, and I do think that losing AJ Dillon there in the first half, I think that that really hurt them. I actually think he's the better runner in my opinion there in green Bay and not having him in the second half. I, I, I think affected them. Now I don't think it cost them the game, it definitely affected it a little bit, having to have Aaron Jones in for the whole second half in some tougher passing conditions, more heavy run type uh, conditions out there on the field. But at the end of it, I think that I don't want to take all of this and put it all on the Packers because the Niners deserve a lot of credit for a lot of them were a lot of people were picking the Niners going into that Cowboys game, knowing that it could be an upset. They're playing great football. Their backs been against them all for the last month and half of the season. And they go in there and they get that win. And then nobody gave them a shot in hell to go up there to Lambo and pull out this game. And after that first drive and after that Mercedes Lewis fumbles, they abs- they completely locked down. And uh, eventually, if you go back and look at it, a lot of it was a lot of really good coverage, too. It wasn't like Rodgers was just flat out missing people. They had great lockdown coverage. They shut them down. And they did just enough at the end of the game to be able to win it. And not all of it goes on Green Bay. The 49ers absolutely deserve to go out there and win the game because they did go out and they took it at the end. Sure, sure. I mean, the 49ers definitely played good, and I don't mean to, like, take it away from them, but Aaron Rodgers has proven – or if he wants to be considered one of the greatest of all time, so no matter what the defense throws at him, he needs to find a way to be effective because that's what those guys have done. And he didn't do that. And he didn't do it when it mattered. And he hasn't done it when it mattered three years in a row. And it's, I don't know. It kind of left a a sort a bad taste in my mouth after all of the nonsense from this off season and all the BS and the drama. And then that's the performance that you put on um, when you have probably the best team he's had in his career. So. So where does he go? Does he stay? Does he go? Is that? The I think I think there? he's going to stay because I think the, there's just not that many options for him. Denver's not going to give up three picks to pick him up, um, and I just I don't know that there's greener grass out there. 
right now for him. If he uh, stays, I think it's safe to say that Devontae stays. I think I think if he stays, they find a way to negotiate a contract with Devontae to stay. Um, but Devontae either way is going to get hit with the franchise tag this year. He's Devontae Adams will be a Packer next season. But the question of what uh, Rogers was talking about on the Pat McAfee show is he's going to make his decision before the franchise tag period which leads me to think that he's going to say I'm staying so that Devonte can work on, you know, putting together a contract, a real deal. Because the franchise tag, yeah, he doesn't want that. Um, so that that's my suspicion. I mean, that's a nice, nice team move, nice team player move. I mean, that's a, that, that's what you should do. I mean, you see a lot of teamwork when it comes to the NFL of, of players and contracts and um, incentives at the end of the year. And this is kind of, you know, Rogers helping his buddy out Devonte to, to be able to help him get his best financial leverage to the team at that point. So, yeah. um, and um, the one thing I will say is the Packers, because of their books, are probably not going to get a whole lot better unless they find some gold in the draft. Because we're probably going to cut Zadarius uh, Smith, or not cut him. We can't resign. We can't afford him. Um, they'll have to rework Preston Smith's contract a little bit, and. Um, they're just so strapped for cash. They just don't have a whole lot of options to do anything in free agency. So I don't think they're in full rebuild, but I think they're going to have to try to win with what they have. It'll, it'll be interesting to see. Um, clearly Matt LaFleur is a great coach. Um, obviously they're going to have to improve on the special teams. I'd assume they'll probably find a new coach for that uh, um, and be able to work their way through the rest of it. But on Saturday night, you had two games go right down to the wire, go down to a field goal, a game-winning field goal by the road team as time expires. Um, and we thought that Saturday, it, as boring as the games were, uh, what, a 19-16 and a 13-10 game, so not high scoring, a lot of empty possessions. Nonetheless, gets to the end of the game. It's very exciting at the end. It comes down to the very end. You thought Saturday was a pretty decent day of football for the NFL. Of, hey, two hard-nosed, hard-fought playoff games. What more could you want? Well, then you turn the page to Sunday and just about all <laughs> breaks loose in both of these games um, for three quarters and about five minutes. The Rams were in pure domination of the Bucks. Um, it was 23 to three or 26 to three. Some, I don't know. It was somewhere in that range. It was an outstanding uh, lead for the, for the Rams. And then they couldn't hold on to the football to save their life. Tom Brady does what Tom Brady does and continues to fight and bring his team back into it. And the uh, Bucks go all the way down and they tie the game up with, I don't know, 40 seconds left, 30 seconds left in the game. And then you have uh, the, you have a sack on the first play, the Niners or the, the Rams call a timeout or maybe they left the clock running. I can't remember, but so you're running with 30 seconds left and the bucks bring have cover zero. They bring everybody. They're just balls on the 20 yard line. They're thinking no way they're, they're going to let a ball or let them sit back there and pick them apart. And Cooper cup gets lost behind the defense. A fantastic throw from Stafford sets them up for a, a chip shot field goal there at the end of the game to, to win it. Um, Clearly, I can't recap everything of this game of just how wild it truly was because it seemed like Brady Brady once again was going to one of these miraculous comebacks, uh, a 28 to three type comeback. Um, you couldn't believe what was unfolding, but the Rams somehow closed those floodgates just enough to be able to sweep. Yeah, I mean, it was an awesome game. I was, I was really happy for Matt Stafford because his whole career has been he can't win a playoff game. He can't win a big game. He needs to beat Tom Brady in a divisional round of the playoffs. So I think that closes the book there. And he did it with what was it, 36 seconds left. Um, so just fantastic. Really happy for him. Um, I think that game was about, I, I was convinced with about four minutes left in the game that the Bucs are going to win. I, I really, truly was. I was like, this is Tom Brady in the playoffs. They're going to effing win this game. <laughs> and uh, they didn't, but it was it was awesome. I mean, that was a pretty uneventful game, like you were saying, and then it's just like out of nowhere, it's like, hmm. 
wait a second. It was weird things too, because it was like, uh, you, you have, you have a running back get stripped. You have a ball that gets snapped over Stafford's shoulders. He's not even looking for the ball and goes 40 yards down the field. After I think the bucks had turned it over like the play before Um, you have, you have a running back running. You have cam Akers. Uh, running up through the middle of the line and the ball just gets stripped out of his hand as he's running through the middle of the line, probably going for a first down. I mean, it was like, it, it was just weird moments. It, it wasn't normal, normal type fumbles. I guess you would say it just kind of came out of the blue and the bucks kept fighting and they kept getting their way back. I think if you had pulled half the country watching that game with a minute to go, if the NFL was fixed, people would have been, half the people would have been telling you, yes, uh, I mean, it was, it was almost it, it was worse than a movie script could be if they were trying to write a movie script for a Tom Brady comeback. Like if, if you were watching it in a movie theater, you would have gotten up and left with a minute to go because you would have said there is no way this actually happens in real life. Like you couldn't dream of it. You couldn't think of it. And the Rams were just giving it away. But seriously, hats off to them for just finding a way to get it done. And honestly, really good job for them for not giving up their regulation even after the sack because they didn't want to go to overtime with Tom Brady and risk a coin toss of Tom Brady getting the ball and driving down the field, which we'll get to in a second of how that could change a game. Um, And they took their shot with their best player. They trusted Cooper cup and Stafford threw an absolute dime right on the money, falling backwards and threw an absolute heave right into cups hands. And it sets them up for the Google. Yeah, and it was awesome. I think, you know, personally, it's nice to see something different every once in a while. And I, I'm just I'm very interested to see as the lights get brighter and brighter how Matt Stafford holds up. And I I have his whole career thought that Matt Stafford was a better quarterback than most of the, the general public has. I think he is easily a top ten quarterback in the NFL. And um he was just with a, a frankly terrible organization. And I'm excited because I one, I want to be proven right. And two, like it, it's somebody different. It's not Russell Wilson. It's not Tom Brady. It's not Aaron Rodgers. You know, it, you got a guy out there who has been in the league for a really long time, who's paid his dues, who's been on some really bad teams. And now he's got weapons because he hasn't truthfully had a, a superstar weapon since Megatron retired and like whenever that was. And now he's got Odell Beckham. He's got Cooper cup. He's got Higby. He's got cam makers is awesome. And probably more importantly at all, of all, he's got McVay calling the plays. So I he's think got, and he's got Aaron Donald and Vaughn Miller on his defense. <laughs> right. And on the other side, we only need to talk about and Jalen Ramsey. And um, so I'm excited to see how far this team goes because I think on paper they're probably the most talented team. It's just such like a new formula, which is uh, kind of unfolding in front of us. But we'll we'll see. I mean, that team is definitely good enough to win the Super Bowl. A lot of people gave Matt Stafford a lot of crap coming into this year saying, hey, he's 0-3 in the playoffs. He doesn't play well in the playoffs. All three of his losses were with the Lions, and they were seven-point dogs or worse going into the game. Like They weren't favored to win those playoff games, So and he lost them. Big whoop. Uh, I mean, so sorry that he didn't pull off a big comeback with or a big upset with the Lions. So it's not like he's played that bad in the playoffs with considering his circumstances coming into this year. Um, gets a great win, a huge defensive win, really, in the first game, and he played well. And then he was absolutely flawless in that Bucks game. Um, but none of the mistakes were on him. None of those turnovers were on him. He threw the ball fantastic the whole game. Um, he deserved every bit of it. And it will be really interesting to see what they do this third, this third time around this year with the Niners, a team that has uh, owned them in recent memory since Kyle Shanahan has gotten there to the 49ers. Um, and we'll we'll kind of dive into that here in a second. But then the, the last game of the weekend, which I think we could do an hour and a half long podcast on this game itself of just everything that happened. Uh, game of game of the year, uh, best playoff game ever. I, I mean, there are so many different tags you can put on this. And to, to I, I would assume if you're listening to this podcast, you probably joined into this game at some point. I would sure hope so. But to basically put it in perspective, 
very back and forth game. Um, the entire time the chiefs go up by nine in the second half, the bills come back. Um, and with two minutes to go, you have four lead changes. You have the chiefs hit Tyreek Hill streaking down the field for 60 or 70 yard touchdown. Josh Allen leads them down the field for a huge, uh, with four or five plays finds Gabriel Davis for his third touchdown. Chiefs go down, score another touchdown, or maybe that was a Tyreek Hill. I think the one before that may have not been Tyreek Hill, but they score with like a, with 59 seconds left. Josh Allen drives them back down the field again, down four in less than a minute. They drive him down in 40 seconds, hits Gabriel Davis for his fourth touchdown of the game. And with 13 seconds left, this is where a lot of the debate happens. They kick the ball deep, boot, booted through the back of the end zone. Uh, the Chiefs go out there with all three timeouts. They set up a little speed screen to Tyreek Hill, runs for 18, 19 yards, gets down, takes like four or five seconds. They find Travis Kelsey in the seam, gets him for another 20 yards to get in the field goal range. Harrison Bucker hits the 48-yarder, sends him to overtime. Chiefs win the ball or win the coin toss. They get the ball in overtime. Patrick Mahomes takes him straight down the field. They score to Travis Kelsey to win the game 42 to 36. I can't do it proper justice. If you seriously, for some reason, didn't watch it, watch the fourth quarter of the game on YouTube. You can find highlights somewhere. But I just, I mean, I know we were texting all throughout this, Joe, but I, I mean, like, what was going through your head as this game was unfolding in front of your eyes? What was going through my head is, we all know Patrick Mahomes is special. The dude's won a Super Bowl, but I'll be damned if Josh Allen isn't in that same conversation <laughs> because he's did, in my opinion, just as much, if not more, with significantly less than Patrick Mahomes has. Because if you look at the weapons Mahomes has, Tyreek Hill is an insane receiver. You can't guard him. You, you literally can't. I mean, you can be the best. You could be Jalen Ramsey. You can be the best lockdown corner in the game. It doesn't matter. You can't keep up. The with speed that he has is just stupid. And now yeah. he's doing these little, he's catching the ball on these little, like these little underneath routes. And then what he's doing is he's taking a back step and squaring up defenders. Like he's taking one or two yards back and squaring himself up. And then it's like, what does the defender do in that case? Cause now you're sitting there in space and Tyreek squared up to you. He has either way to go and he's going to beat you one way or the other. <laughs> yeah. It's insane. And then you got Travis Kelsey. And then you got Michael Hardman. Like the list Iron Pringle. All these guys are fast. In, in- yeah. And Stephon Diggs is sick on the other side. I mean, he's an awesome receiver too. But after that, you got Cole Beasley. I mean, Gabriel Davis until that game was relatively unknown. And uh, Hall of Fame type game for Yeah. And, and Devin Singletary is – about as average as average comes in terms of running backs in the NFL. So that guy should be in everybody's top five quarterback list where you don't know football because <laughs> that, that was one of the most unbelievable playoff performances I have ever seen, you know, and the list goes on and on. I mean, you could throw in Tom Brady, you could throw in Aaron Rodgers, you could throw in Peyton Manning. That one might top them all. I mean, it was virtually flawless. I think he was like 27 of 37 for 300 and, 80 yards and four touchdowns. It's like, it, it doesn't get much better than that. And not to mention he had like 70 yards on the ground. So that dude is just absolutely incredible. And I cannot wait to see these two guys freaking have wars like this for another 10 years, because they are both awesome to watch and they both play the game so differently. And it, it's just, it, it's good football. There's, there's no other way to say it. Just the talent in the AFC at quarterback, because then you throw in Joe Burrow, then you throw in Lamar Jackson, you throw in uh, Justin Herbert. I mean, there's such good talent in the AFC. You're going to see so many great um, great quarterback rivalries, as you want to call them. And, and you know, a lot of people want to say, oh, it's the next Manning and Brady. It's going to be hard, I think, to get to that because those teams were so dominant because there wasn't that much talent in the league around them. And so they faced off every year. So when you've got so much other talent in the league of other quarterbacks, I think are going to continue to get better and other teams are going to be really good. Eventually you're going to get some other matchups. So I don't know if you see it as frequently as that, but I do think it is to that level of two of the greatest quarterbacks going forward for the next 15 something 10, 15 years. And these guys are going to have some incredible games at, 
I couldn't believe what I was watching. I, I mean, every single time you're like, there's no way. And then you, you, I think it was the first one of like, oh, when the Chiefs scored and there was 50 seconds left, you kind of were half joking. They're like, oh, there's too much time. But Bills can go down and score. And then the, the people that were joking say, oh, there's too much time for Mahomes with 13 seconds left. Uh, <laughs> all right, that was a that was a large joke. I didn't think that that was actually going to happen. But looking at it, I, I think there's two two major things. One, I I don't think you should have necessarily script kicked it. I think it needed to be a pooch kick. Um, I, I think it needed to be a kick into the field of play, a high kick where they could have caught it at the five or ten yard line. And you make the Chiefs make a decision right there. Choice one is. They either fair catch it and they're going to sacrifice themselves 15, 20 yards or choice two, they're going to return it and they're going to lose five or six seconds off the clock. Um, I I think that is the first large thing. And genuinely, I think one of the reasons why they may not have pooch kicked it is if you go back and look before the chiefs first touchdown with just under two minutes to go, that was set up by a huge Tyreek Hill punt return. Tyreek Hill is not the normal punt returner for the chiefs. They had put him back there in that position because they needed a big play to try and set themselves up. It worked. He got a huge return for 40 or 50 yards, whatever. I wonder if the Bengals thought, or not the Bengals, the Bills thought that Tyreek was going to be back there for the kickoff, and they didn't want to kick it to Tyreek, so that's why they booted it throughout the end zone. But Tyreek wasn't in there. So I, I wonder if it was a miscalculation on their part in that sense. And then outside of that, you can go mull over the decision to, to drop to play prevent defense with 13 seconds left. Um, and when you could have sent the house, you could have done so many different things. But I just – I really think that Tyreek Hill aside, I, I think they just said, let's kick it out the back, let's give it to him at the 25, and, and we'll play our prevent. They have 13 seconds, you know, and, and they trusted their defense. I don't think that – I don't know. I – I was kind of back and forth and I was like, ah, you squib it. And I thought they would truthfully, I thought they would squib or, or pooch it and get the ball in play or, and try to at least take three seconds off the clock. But I can kind of see the other side of it. It's, you know, you, you kind of prepare for these situations where you're just dropping back and you're playing pre-band and you just let the field stay in front of you. And they, they just dropped the ball on it. It was if, if you're gonna play prevent, then what you do is you drop 10. You don't you don't drop eight in rush three. Mm-hmm. You drop 10. You absolutely pepper the field. Um, because the best thing you can do is at least make Mahomes have to hold on to the ball for an extra one or two seconds. Because you you're talking about 13 seconds. I mean, it's two plays. So if you're hold, making them hold it for an extra one or two seconds, it's a huge, huge deal. Just trying to get that extra second for a player to get open in, in a zone. And so uh, the first play, they drop way, way back. They're scared to death the Tigers can beat them deep again. So they drop way back. And the Chiefs intelligently do a really nice little speed screen where they just toss, flick the ball right out to him. They get a convoy of blockers, um, and he can get himself 20 yards because Tyreek runs that fast in four or five seconds. And then on mm-hmm. the one, um, it's come out this week that the Kelsey one was a completely uh, kind of backyard football-type play. I mean, it wasn't the route that was called. Travis Kelsey saw the coverage before their timeout and said, Hey, if they do that again, I'm running straight up the middle of the field, uh, hit me on the seam. And it's exactly what they did. They lined up the exact same. He, uh, 10, just uh, ran straight ahead, straight seam, caught it, gets down and they set themselves up. I mean, it was an unbelievable execution on the chiefs. It's incredible. They didn't blink. in that's in that moment. I, I mean, all seemed lost and Mahomes still takes them out there and leads them. Uh, to victory and continues to cement his legacy is just an incredible quarterback. Yeah, I mean, the guy's unbelievable. He's one of those guys you kind of forget sometimes how insanely good he is until you sit down and you actually watch him play. I mean, for his, and that's why I wanted to highlight both of them before because I wanted, I was going to talk about Josh Allen needing to be in that conversation, but like Mahomes is worth every bit of the praise he gets because that guy is an absolute generational talent and he is just in terms of skill I, I'd say another year I'd say next year he might he'd probably overtake Rogers is probably the most skilled throw of the football I mean the guy's just freaking unbelievable 
it's like you just ex- he, he's one of those guys when he has the ball you just expect it to happen which is how Aaron's been for you know pretty much his whole career as well it's just the ball's in their hand you expect them to score you expect the defense to have a nightmare stopping them it's not like you know the Matt Ryans who are probably flirting on the line of hall of fame it's like they have their good games and they have their down days it's like they he just doesn't he he doesn't he's awesome he's gone to four straight since he's been a starter he's gone to four straight AFC championship games he's hosted four straight AFC championship games um the guy is like he's thrown one interception I think like 27 touchdown passes in his postseason career he's won an MVP he's won a Super Bowl MVP um it's unbelievable the legacy that he's building. Mm-hmm. He continues to be in, in out of this world talent. Uh, and the Chiefs to go and get Mahomes, they had to take an extremely high risk. The gamble that gets everybody fired in their organization it doesn't work. They got rid of Smith, a very proven quarterback, to go out and trade up and get him, and it worked. Um, and it's hats off to him. Before we we move on and do quick kind of previews looking at the games. Overtime rules. Um, I think we both are on agreement on this. That after watching that game, and you saw it two years ago with Brady and Mahomes, both teams have got to find a way to be able to, get to touch the ball when it comes to, to the postseason NFL. At minimum, I don't care about the regular season. I understand you have player safety, you have your TV contract, so you got to get to the next program. It is what it is. Have a tie in the regular season. I don't care when it gets to the postseason. Play a full quarter of football. Make it like soccer. Make it like soccer where they have a whole little period. Ten minutes of football and see who's winning. And you know what? If, you, if you're if you so afraid of ties after ten minutes, make them have to go for two in, in the overtime period. But make sure both quarterbacks get to touch the ball because I could have told you when that ball was – or when that coin was flipped – Whoever got the ball first was winning the game because neither neither defense was making a stop for either quarterback. No, I, I 100% agree. It, it's it's annoying as a fan, and honestly, I, I don't have any insider info. I'm sure it's annoying as a player, though, because Mahomes knew the same thing you just said. I mean, if the, the coin falls the other way, he loses that game. Josh Allen knew it. He said it after – what Josh Allen's direct quote was, he has nothing to complain about because if it went the other way, they would be celebrating too. Basically admitting he's like, look, if I got the ball, we would have won. Like he knew it. And and so mm-hmm. it has to suck knowing that. And yes, I know you're gonna say, okay, well, the defense gets a chance to make a stop, but if you can't make a stop, then you don't deserve the win a game. I, I mean, in that situation, just look they at, didn't stop them. The, the not, neither team was gonna get a stop. Yeah. yeah that, there's no argument to be had there. That's an argument out of ignorance. And to say that, that they didn't deserve an opportunity to, to score with the ball in their hand. I mean, it's ridiculous. The NFL, that's a, an archaic overtime rule that needs to be changed as soon as possible. And, and hopefully as a result of that game, we'll get some sort of meaningful change there. But that 50% in the regular season or 50, 51, 52% of teams that get the coin, win the coin toss, win the game since the rules have changed. In the playoffs, it's 10 out of 11. It's 95% or 90% or whatever the – I think it's 90% it's percentage. I, I mean, that is an absurd amount of teams that win the coin toss, win the game. And so you have got to get to a point where that gets fixed because to think that it come, these players played an entire season, they put everything on the line, and you're talking about the ability to go to a Super Bowl or continue on a season gets decided by legitimate fate on a coin toss, it's terrible. I mean, your legacy in some cases, because I think after – the Packers went down. The winner of that game became becomes the the best team, in yeah. my opinion. I, I think the Chiefs are the best team left in the playoffs, and I think if the Bills had won that game, the Bills would have been the best team left. So and you're looking who knows at, where the Bills go on to win a Super Bowl this year. What happens going forward? Yeah, I, I think you're looking at you know, potentially Super Bowl deciding coin flip, which <laughs> to me is absurd. So it sucks. I, I really, I'm with you. I hope that they finally make a change. Um, I have little faith because the NFL refuses to make a lot of great rule changes. Um, they seem to like to make a lot of poor rule changes, but hopefully I, I think everyone's kind of over it after this game. It, it was pretty loud, the, the clamoring for it after that, that uh, Brady Mahomes game. 
it, it was really loud after this game and everybody kind of saw it of, of how bad it is. So that, that's my suggestion. Like I said, it's just play a whole quarter um, and just have it as a full overtime period. Just it is what it is and, and move on. And so that, that's how I would like to see it personally going forward. We'll see if they, they listen to me. We'll, we'll send the film in to Goodell and, and see if he'll listen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I guess going looking at the games, what do you think? Um, we'll start on the NFC side. You've got Niners, Rams. Picks, thoughts on the game, looking at it. Um, two very different teams. The Niners are going to like want to slow it down and run the ball as much as possible and use Jimmy Dree to you kind of short inside 15-yard passes um, where I think the Rams are going to try to open it up. I suspect that the Rams are probably going to win this game. Um, I think they just – they got too much horsepower and they're too diverse. They can beat you in a variety of different ways on offense. And oh, by the way, they're pretty good on the other side of the ball too. So I just think they got too much there. They're going to get overpowered. I really, really want to ride with the Rams. Um, I think that they're the better team. I think that if they play this game 10 times, they win this game seven out of 10 times, eight out of 10 times. I'm going with the Niners here. I just think that something's something weird's going on. They've got this, this road dog mentality. Uh, they they've had their back against the wall for so long. I, Matt Stafford is a fantastic quarterback at the end of the year. He was making a lot of really big mistakes. He hasn't made them mis- those mistakes in the playoffs. And I've just, I got a feeling that he's going to make one, this week at the really, really wrong time. Uh, Jimmy G is playing solid football. Um, that that team's getting a little bit healthier, and Debo Samuel continues to be an absolute nightmare. Um, Kyle Shanahan's won, I think, seven in a row, I want to say. It's some ridiculous of what he's beaten the Rams now in a row. He, he seems to have their number. He has McVay's number. I, I will take the dog, and I will say that the Niners – shock the world and continue on this underdog mentality and, and make it to the Super Bowl. All right. All right. And I, uh, I told my friend Brett who normally joins on this podcast, he was supposed to be on and I couldn't make it for other reasons. He said he wanted to, to get his picks in this week. So we'll go ahead. And I'll, oh, he has the Rams. He says that the, uh, the Rams office is playing as good as they have all year. And the defense is clicking just at the right time. Uh, with Vaughn Miller and Aaron Donald starting to get a lot of heat on the quarterback. He doesn't think Jimmy G is going to be able to make, uh, do enough to, to beat him. He likes Cooper cup to have a big game and, and make them and, and bring them on to victory by 10. So we'll move on over to the AFC side. And that is going to be the chiefs and the Bengals in another game of star studded young talent quarterbacks. The Bengals are the surprise team to make it this far. Joe Burrow as a rookie has now won two playoff games in a row. I think, there's a very, very short list of quarterbacks who have won three starts in a row to start off their postseason career. Um, can the Bengals go in and shock the world and take it to Arrowhead? I think they can under the condition that they protect Joe Burrow because they're not going to be able to have nine sacks again this week and win the game. I think is outstanding is that Bengals offense can be with um, – Jamar Chase, Higgins, Joe Mixon, uh, Usma, you know, a lot of weapons, but it all means nothing if you can't protect the quarterback. I think this game is going to be sneaky close, but um, I think the Chiefs lean on experience and they find a way to win by six points. I've got the Chiefs in this game. Um, there's been a nice little trend so far recently in the NFL that – Teams that have won the game have covered in 31 of the last 34 NFL playoff games and every NFL playoff game this year. There have been upsets, yes, but those upsets, the dog, the, the team that was the underdog also won the game outright. So in the sense of if you're picking teams right now, you might as well just pick a team. If they're going you know, to think that they're going to cover, they might as well win the game as the underdog. Um, and on the other side, if you're picking the favorite, they've been covering too. So I'm riding with the Chiefs. I think that they actually get this done by personally. Um, I, I think that it's – I would 
I will not be surprised if the Bengals come out hot. I would not be surprised if the Chiefs are down seven, 10, maybe 14 points early. It might be a little hard for them to, to kind of get their energy back up after such a big game. It, it's such an emotional game. But that, that crowd will get them right back into it. They'll snap out of it. It's kind of their MO anyways of falling early and, and moving forward. So I think that Joe Burrow he didn't look great last week. I don't know if he's going to be able to do enough to be able to keep up with Mahomes in what likely will turn into almost a shootout. Uh, I think the Chiefs will be able to do whatever they want on offense. So it's going to be a matter of can Joe Burrow put up 35, 40 points on his own um, first team. And I don't think he can. I think Joe Mixon will have a really big game. Watch him out of the backfield. You saw Devin Singletary have a really big game out of the backfield. The Chiefs are terrible uh, guarding the running back out of the backfield in the receiving game. So he might have a big game, but yeah, I'm with you. I've got the Chiefs moving on. And I'm going to, I'm, so I'm calling a rematch of the 2019 Super Bowl of uh, the Niners and the Chiefs to see if we can get it back. You're obviously calling a Rams-Chiefs Super Bowl, which if you pulled most of America right now, I would guarantee, I bet that'd be 70 to 80% of people's picks. Um, And Brett is going to switch it up and not follow us. And he actually is going to say that the Bengals are going to pull off the shocker of the world. He thinks that they have an electric offense, can pass and run. The Chiefs are coming off. That's such an emotional win. Doesn't know if they're going to be able to get back up for this game. Um, it's hard to argue. I, I am really worried about the emotion side and how much that took out of them last week in the fact that that's not a, a – if it's the AFC championship and you get two weeks with the Super Bowl, it's a, bit, a lot bigger difference than it is this game. From the- I think so, too. I, I, but I just – I think the how experienced that team is, and they've, like you mentioned, when they, you know, Brady, they've had big games before. Um, a lot of those guys on that team were on the Super Bowl team, so they they understand the focus that goes into it. Um, I mean, honestly, I would love to see the Bengals win. I I, I hope I'm wrong. Um, I grew up more of a Bengals fan. Uh, with the Ohio roots of my family. So that would be just freaking awesome to see. I just, I think experience in the NFL means more than anything else. And that that's why in a, in a close game, which I think it's going to be, I, I just think the Chiefs win it. A Bengals Niners Super Bowl would be just absolutely bizarre. <laughs> um, That'd be awesome. The thing that we saw this year, it would just be so bizarre to see those two teams at the end. Um but if you look at the NFL, it's it, it's very rarely the best two teams throughout the entire year. It's the teams that get hot at the end of the year and going into January that always make it to the end. Um, and that's what you're seeing this year. So it, I that's going to be a really, really fun game. I think that there'll be fireworks no matter what in that game. I think for the NFC side, it could be a really kind of slow-moving game. I, I would be shocked if the teams get over 20 points. Um, it, it could be kind of a old school slugfest and then you turn it around and uh, I believe it'll be the night game for the, for the chiefs and that game will be a, uh, uh, that, that'll be an absolute shootout. So that, that kind of where we stand on the NFL side and some quick notes. I, I don't want to jump in too far on, on baseball as we're, we're running over here, but um, lockouts obviously still going. Uh, we haven't had any news on it. It's pretty depressing that we're sitting here at the end of January and these dudes, the players and the owners still can't make a decision. Looks like the owners are perfectly fine with canceling games, basically calling the players bluff, saying, hey, I don't care if we lose money. We're going to get our way or the highway. Um, it's just it's terrible. And it, it leads to it continues to pain, especially Braves fans, I think, almost the most, because as soon as that lockout ends, there's going to be a very, very quick quick uh, free agent season in terms of the people who didn't get assigned before the lockout. Obviously, at the top of that list is Freddie Freeman, and we don't know what's going to happen with him. I think that as time goes on, the more and more I am afraid for the Braves because one of those two sides is going to want to make a move very quickly because Freeman loses his leverage if the Braves go out and trade for somebody, and the Braves lose their leverage if Freeman goes and signs with somebody in terms of trying to go out and trade for someone. So both sides, and that's assuming they're going separate ways. I still think that there's a better chance than not that they, that he resigns, but it's it's a very delicate situation at this point. I agree. 
Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens when the time comes. And then uh, you had the Hall of Fame voting last night, brought up a lot of uh, a lot of conversation. Derek, uh, David Ortiz is the only one that gets into the Hall of Fame. Absolutely no, no controversy there. One of the greatest clutch hitters of all time, especially in the postseason. Um, congratulations to Ortiz. But the, the big news is that Kirk Schilling and uh, Barry Bonds have lost their 10-year status on the ballot. So the only way they'll ever be able to get in now is at a long time when you start getting to the uh, the voter, the players voting, uh, the committee voting way down the line. Uh, obviously, a lot of debate on Kirk Schilling, uh, most Cy Youngs of all time, has his BED problem or suspicions and controversies. Bonds, uh, greatest, you know, one of the, the most home runs all time, supposedly, clearly was juiced up, never really fully admitted to it. Um, it's a very big debate of if one or if either of those guys or both should be in the uh, Hall of Fame. Yeah, and, and Roger Clements, too, also had his PED yeah. issues. Um, you know, we talked about this yesterday. I The only argument, truthfully, and I'll let you unpack your argument, that I've heard in favor of bonds was from you, but I personally have a, tro- a problem with, you know, letting a guy in as good as he even was before PEDs who embarrassed the game the way he did and, you know, con- continued to dig himself deeper and deeper and lie and continue to lie um, about using PEDs when it was pretty much fact at that point that he had. And, um, you know, to kind of disgrace in my opinion, the most coveted record in all sports. I mean, hitting the most home runs is in baseball is like a non-comparable stat to anything else. Um, so I, I think for me, Bonds definitely no. Um, not a big Roger Clemens guy in general, so that, there's no love lost there. I think Kurt Schilling and the bloody sock performance alone um, – <laughs> Was pretty much worth the Hall of Fame. Maybe, uh, it was, maybe it was Clemens that I'm thinking of yesterday. Well, Schilling last he had one more year on the ballot last year, and when he didn't get in, he had his whole big fit. That's what it was. Yeah, so I, I was right. It was all three of them had their last. Yeah, you you were right. You were right. And um, but you know, I just I think it it sets a good precedent if nothing else, that don't do this kind of stuff. I, it's a shame for Barry Bonds, but I think it comes. It should come as no surprise to anybody that he didn't get it. I think, in, I think it's a threefold argument here. I, I think for, for one, the people that are elected in the Hall of Fame, there are absolutely people that use PEDs that are currently elected in the Hall of Fame or have done other shady things or slash horrible people. And I'm, and I'm also talking about Pete Rose in the situation of somebody who can get in and is not in the Hall of Fame and probably deserves to be so. Um, so I think that is argument one for the group of players. I think argument two is that steroids, as bad as the thing of it is, it is absolutely downright cheating. I am not going to disagree with that. Steroids did a lot for baseball in terms of bringing it back to relevance because at the time there was a lot of popularity into hitting the home runs. You start getting steroid people. They start hitting more home runs. You get the home run race. You get the Sammy Sosa and uh, McGuire race and, and all these things. And so start getting those kind of battles and it brought a lot of popularity to baseball. Not that it was a good thing looking at it in the long run that you had to use steroids to do it it helped bring popularity to baseball. And I don't know if baseball is where it is today without that era of, of those players using steroids. And then I think that the, the final argument of just looking at bonds and other players that used it is that, especially for, for Barry Bonds in particular, he was a clear cut, no doubt hall of famer before he started using steroids. And so on that argument alone, I think that you put him in the hall of fame, you strip away his records of, you get it if he admits of, hey, this is when I use steroids. You can go from that season on and just wipe those records clean. And then you put them in. I, what I don't understand is how you're going to sit there and you're going to have in the record books that Barry Bonds is the Hall of Fame home run hitter or, or the most 
has hit the most home runs of all time, but then you're not going to put him in the Hall of Fame. You can't have it both ways. You're either going to recognize his accomplishments with steroids and keep him in the record books, or you strip away his accomplishments, and then he's back down to where he was, and then you can evaluate him as that player, and you can put him in. I think that it's just really hard when you have the greatest home run hitter, arguably the greatest hitter of all time in baseball, and he's not going to be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, whether you have to put him in with an asterisk, I don't. You have to put him in, in a special section of Hall of Fame. I don't care. I think that he deserves to be in. As much as it sucks that I know he cheated and got and, and got all of his large publicity and fame post cheating. Yes, but I think a lot of the public would say that he should have the records expunged because he cheated as well. I, I personally, I don't regard him as the home run king. I don't think you do either. No, I don't. I, I definitely think, I think Aaron is. Yeah. But I, and I think that is in a lot of people's mind is that this guy, I mean, basically took advantage of the steroid era and knocked off one of baseball's greatest ambassadors and is now like the home run king with an asterisk because it's an asterisk on Wikipedia and you can't make exceptions in the hall of fame and you can't say he's in the hall of fame pre this because he cheated years X on, but it's, you know, it, it is going to be an, an issue that gets brought up when Alex Rodriguez almost certainly gets in the hall of fame because he's another guy who used PEDs. Yeah. Um, I, I'm trying to think of names before who have been in. Um, there's several players who have used PEDs that are in the Hall of Fame already. Barry Bonds would not have been the first one, won't be the last. No, and, and um, there's going to be guys in there that clearly have never admitted to it. But if you, you know, if you go back and you lie detect them, absolutely. They just freaking look at them. I mean, yeah, I mean, just look at them where they never got caught, et cetera. So it's tough and it's never going to be a perfect system. Um, it's just really, really hard when you sit there and you think about one of the greatest players that you ever have, one of the top 10 most talented players to ever play the game, and you're going to sit there and say that he's not a Hall of Famer, um, is just a really tough look for the, for the sport, for the history of the sport. And, and I don't know how much Bonds really cares about it. I know Kirk Schilling doesn't really care about it. Um, he kind of came out yesterday and said, I'm to move on from this uh, and that it's over with, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely disappointing. I mean, I love Harry Bonds growing up. He's one of my favorite players, but – Again, I, I think had he gone about it and said, you know what, I made a poor decision. I took steroids. I was obsessed with breaking this record, and I, I made the wrong decision. I think he would no doubt – he would have gotten over 85% of the votes. I, I think that is the biggest thing is that none of them will admit it. And if they would admit it and just move on, I think that that is probably the hardest thing is that they continue to try and deny it and – and say no, or just, you know, never give an answer. And I think if they would, this would have been for a long time. Yeah. I mean, Cause Alex Rodriguez has said he made a horrible decision. And it's probably, like you said, the reason why he'll get in. Yeah. And he, he will get in. I mean, he didn't very few players, which is, it's interesting to me how the hall of fame for baseball works as opposed to other sports. Very few people get in on their first, second or third ballot. Yeah. Like um, they've been on there for a while. You start looking at guys like, Andrew Jones, Billy Wagner, uh, just to name a couple. And there's a lot more that have been on there for five, six times. And you get up to 10 um, and it kind of just keeps growing and growing. It, it's really hard um, to get in. And it, it's nice that it's an exclusive club and that not everybody gets into a Hall of Fame. But it, I mean, look at tough. it leaves out some good players, too. It does. And I mean, David Ortiz, example, that guy is one of the most recognizable names in baseball. He's probably the most important player in the history of the Red Sox organization, which is about as big as anything other than the Yankees. And outside of baseball, what he did for the city of Boston after the Boston bombings and just the ambassador, he's been in the game globally. And he got 77% of the votes, which is 2% above the threshold. I mean, it, it's incredibly difficult to get into the Hall of Fame. You've had one person all time be a unanimous uh, Hall of Famer, um, just just one of all time. <laughs> I mean, a, little, a little bit of that's political. They had some old guys that 
writers would make sure one person would say no just because they didn't want someone to be unanimous, et cetera. But like, yeah, it, it's tough. So um, the Hall of Fame is an interesting thing in baseball, but I just wanted to bring it up because I know we had this topic last night or I had this conversation last night. And I know plenty of other people are having it around the world. So I just want to bring it up for we all out of here. But that pretty well that pretty well covers it up. Unless you got anything else before we get out of here, Joe? I don't. Awesome. Well, um, I, I'm excited. Got a great weekend of sports. You have uh, golf finishing up on a Saturday, so they don't compete with conference championships Sunday for the first time ever. One of the most intelligent things the PGA Tour has ever done in their life. <laughs> uh, not trying to go up against the conference championship games for the first time. And then obviously you'll have those two fantastic games on Sunday. I am sure with the playoff games that we've had, we'll continue to have more playoff game, more great playoff games. Very, very much look forward to it um, in college basketball, getting into a full swing. Plenty to watch, plenty to do. Hope you guys are all doing well out there, staying safe out there. Life is crazy. We appreciate you guys checking in and listening to this podcast with us. So um, with that, I will go ahead and let everybody on out of here, like, rate, review, subscribe, and we will be back at you next week. Have a good one.